morning. Good morning. Thanks for my coffee this morning. You're welcome. I got up late this morning and I was like, didn't, usually I make coffee the night before and then it automatically starts or whatever and I was late this morning. So thank you for bringing me coffee. Yeah, I once again had a fail for my coffee. Yeah, you did. It tastes really gross. It's really gross. So public service announcement, if you get the honey almond milk flat white at Starbucks, do not add an extra shot. It's fine with the normal how it is. Don't add an extra shot. I don't know. I think it's pretty flat. I think flat is an appropriate word. Hey, I want to do something um, different today. Uh-oh. That's scary. Um, you, it is, it is scarily impressive how much you know about murder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make jokes about this, but you, you really do a ton of research and you are super prepared for this. Well, to do you. this podcast. And I appreciate you and I appreciate all of the work that you put into this. Well, thanks. Because especially after preparing for this episode, I'm like, oh my God, this girl is straight on point. Oh. Like you do a really good job, Samantha. Thank you for your work for that. I appreciate that. But I'm kind of psychotic. No, don't say that. <laughs> um, there isn't a but. I don't mean to be like, but. But this is what I want to do. Okay. I want, I comprised a list and details of the most notorious crimes that were committed in all 50 states. Ooh, okay. And because you can just rattle off shit. Like you can rattle off murders and crime scenes and details of stuff that I'm like, where does that go in your mind? Where is that coming from? So I comprised a list. We're gonna do the top or the first 25 states in this episode and then we'll do the last 25 states in part two. Um, of the most notorious, most Googled, most researched crimes in the state. And I'm going to see if the list that the internet gives me for the most notorious heinous crime in that state matches what you think Ooh, off okay. the top of your head. Because, and you don't even need to, she doesn't even need to prepare for this shit, y'all. She like just knows this crap. Sometimes that gets hard though, because this will be interesting to see how it goes, because like, some of the like smaller states, yeah, and there's some people that like commit among multiple states. So it'd be interesting right. to see what category those fall under in my brain compared to. I know. Oh, so this you know. is going to be disturbing and and impressive at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I want to do. You down? I'm down. Okay, because you wanted to do an episode for each state, a separate episode for each state. Um, in our podcast. So this will just be like, maybe you'll be, may, hopefully I come up with some that you're like, oh my God, I don't know that one. Yeah. And that kind of, I'm excited about that because something that always frustrated me is, especially being from Wyoming, you, our state, you never hear about the women that go missing or the murders and that there's happen a lot. here. And there's a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. here. And so I'm sure other people in smaller states also feel like that. And that's why I was like, I want Every state Everyone to be, to be recognized and know. Recognized for freaking murder, But Samantha. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. If we you. could share something from someone missing. Right. I'm just saying. Right. Okay, so we're going to jump right in because there's a lot. This is a lot to, to throw into an hour. Okay. okay. All right, I'm Samantha. I'm not Samantha. I'm Ooh. Tracy. Jesus, I'm, I'm looking at you, so I'm, I'm Tracy. like. <laughs> I'm Samantha. We're Tracy and Samantha, and this is a suspended <laughs> sentence. Starting off strong. <laughs> Starting off strong. Okay, Alabama. Mm, Alabama. I'd say Andrew Lackey, the Halloween cap killer. Um, no. No? No. You lying. No, he was he was bad. Like, that way he did was like, Ugh! Okay, but the most notorious and, and historic Samantha, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Oh, yeah. That one has ties to Martin Luther King, right? It does, yeah. Right. Okay, so the Birmingham church bombing occurred September 15th, 1963, when a bomb exploded before Sunday morning services at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. A church was prominently black, um, had a, I'm sorry, a prominent, prominent, oh my gosh, black congregation that also served as a meeting place for civil, civil rights leaders. Four young girls were killed and many others were injured in the bombing. Um, Outrage over the incident and violent clash between protesters and police that followed helped draw national attention to the hard-fought, often dangerous struggle for civil rights 
for African Americans in America. So the city of Birmingham, it was founded in 1871. Super racist, right? Mm -hmm. Especially back back in those times. Um, But it became the state's most important industrial and commercial center. As late as the 1960s, however, it was also known as one of America's most radical, discriminatory, and segregated cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, Martin Luther King used to give speeches a lot there. And this church was actually a hub where a lot of um, marches and meetings were held. Um, So, anyway, that's the one for Alabama. Alabama and Birmingham has a really cool civil rights museum. Very, very cool. The KKK was huge down there. Mm -hmm. Like, really big. And And the civil rights park is really cool. Um, We went to all of that during our big tour. Really, when you mm-hmm. went down there? The KKK members actually used to threaten the church a lot with bombings there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very, very dangerous and hostile place to be at that time. And that bombing was like... Yeah. Yeah. And super historic. Very true. So, that's the one for Alabama. Alaska. Ooh, Robert Hansen. Robert Hansen. Yes. Woohoo! Yes. One for one. One in one. One in one. Robert Hansen was a serial killer who preyed on women in the Anchorage area throughout the 1970s and 1980s. He killed at least 17 women and admitted to raping 30 others. His nickname comes from his profession as a baker. He uh, mainly targeted sex workers that he would abduct, rape, but then he would release them, tell them to run out into the woods, and then shoot them in the back. I liked the hunt. Yeah. He was... was caught, found guilty, and he was sentenced to um, 461 years in prison. That sounds about right. Yep. Okay, perfect. Arizona. Well, I got a couple. We could do Jody Arias. We could do the Sleepwalker Killer. Jody Arias. Jody Arias, okay. Yeah. Depends on which route you want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hers was pretty beautiful girl. She was She was beautiful. Yeah. And her whole life in had ahead of her. She was born July 9th in 1980, and she's actually from California. Yeah. Right. Um, but in 2006, she met Travis Victor Alexander, who was three years older than him than her. He he everybody says was like a phenomenal human being. He was LDS, so mm-hmm. he had strong um, moral compass. He um, was like a um, oh my gosh, what's it called? A, a motivational speaker. He did a lot for his community. He was, from what everybody else says, absolutely amazing. Now, that doesn't mean that what he's like at home behind closed doors isn't different. I'm just saying that that's what everybody reports, right? But they had an on-again, off-again relationship for over a year and a half when apparently, or reported, I mean like out of the blue, she slits his throat, stabs him 27 times, and then shot him in the head. Yeah. She claims it was self-defense, but she was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She converted to the LDS religion for him, and then he was like, "Mm, no. He liked having sex with her, but was not. he did not want to marry her. He was dating another Mormon girl at the time that he had engaged to. Yeah. So I'm sure there was a little psych, like psychiatric (laughs) psychological stuff that's going on there There. yeah for sure (laughs) however does that justify no absolutely not and you know the reports of like she didn't just i don't mean just slit his throat like she it was it was rage I have a conspiracy theory about this. We may have to cover it sometime. Okay, well, we'll talk about that later. We've got a lot to get there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. we might have to cover this because I have a theory. Yeah. Okay, Arkansas. Ooh. Texarkana. The Moonlight Murders. <laughs> we just covered this. Your least favorite crime in the entire world, Texarkana. Um, 1994. Three eight-year-old Three eight-year-old boys disappear from the streets of West Memphis, Arkansas. Oh. Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, Kristen Byers. They were West all Memphis. best friends. The following day reveals their bodies bruised, beaten, killed, submerged in a muddy creek in a wooded area called Robin Hood Hills. 
Okay, that one gets a little confusing because just like Texarkana in all the different states, Memphis is in also Tennessee and Arkansas. Yeah. So. Yeah, right. Okay, but so all of these rumors start going around the community of all these satanic sacrifices and, and, you know, this big witch hunt, whatever, in in West Memphis. Um, But they arrest and three boys are are convicted of these it was 18 year old damien eccles who was a poor teen he was he was a poor he came from a poor family with a significant interest in the occult and a record of mental illness his friend jason baldwin who is a super quiet kid but extremely talented in arts and jesse molisky who is a 17 year old who is just in trouble all the time um, but Jesse, this this is interesting and it's significant. He has an IQ of 73. Do you know what an average IQ is? Mm-hmm. Average IQ, like 70% of people walking around have an IQ between 85 and 115. So cognitive, cognitively delayed. So there was a ton of controversy that surrounded this case. Circumstantial evidence. I mean, these boys were convicted, but there wasn't like... They never admitted to it. They never, there wasn't concrete evidence of, that they did it, but but they were convicted and they did 18 years in prison before they went back to court. And, and when they went back to court in this like last ditch effort, their last appeal, they used the Alford plea. Do you know what this is? Mm-mm. The Alford plea is, I mean, it's, it, it's a far, it's an old criminal justice thing. It basically, it allows a defendant to say, okay, I know that you have enough evidence to convict me. I'm not saying that I'm doing it. I, I, I'm, I didn't do it. Like I'm, I'm innocent, but I know that you have, I know that you have enough evidence to convict me, but it's all circumstance. It's not, I didn't do it. Anyway, the judge, the judge released them. Yeah. And there was a ton of actors and famous people that actually came to their defense and publicly, including like Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. So we might have to do a whole case, a whole episode on that one. Yeah, because I don't think they did it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know either, but, but I don't know. Another episode. Again, I have a theory. I know. Okay. <laughs> I, I knew, I knew you would. California, and you have a ton to choose from here. <sighs> I mean, you could go Charles Manson. You could go the Night Stalker. You Zodiac could go Killer. Black Dahlia. Yep. You could go the Playboy Murders. Yep. I mean, pick your poison. Yeah, which one? Which one are you picking? Oh. You could go Golden State Killer. Oh, there's too many. California right. is just okay. So we're gonna essential. go Golden State Killer, okay. aka the original Night Stalker. Okay. Okay. And like I said, there's a ton. I was obsessed for a long time about the Zodiac Killer because I don't know why, but that one like really. And they just solved that a couple of years ago. That they just, freaks me out. I know, right? Now okay. he's dead and doesn't get any whatever. Don't get me started. I know, but that would be a great <laughs> one for the suspended sentence. Seriously. Joseph James D'Angelo, whose DNA match samples found at the crime scenes, terrorized his victims. He would target heterosexual couples subduing and restraining the men while assaulting their wives and girlfriends, which he made the man watch. Survivors would later report that they received prank phone calls afterwards, threatening them to do it again and laughing at things that took place during the events. Like demeaning the men and being like, oh, I did this to your girl and you did nothing. You, you know, pussy basically. Yeah, gross. And that's, whew. Yeah. Talk about tormenting somebody without touching them, right? Mm-hmm. That, that would be awful. Staying in someone's mind. Yeah, absolutely. Colorado, if you don't guess this one, because you talk about this case all the time. Chris Watts? No. Oh, that's a good one. What do I talk about all the time? Oh, there's too many. John Benet. Oh, John Benet Ramsey. Yeah. That is for sale for $7 million right now. Is it? So if you'd like to buy the... Really no, gross murder scene, $7 million, it can be yours. Murder of six-year-old pageant princess in 1996. The family reported finding a ransom note inside their home on the 700 block of 15th Street. Her body was found in the basement, and later autopsy revealed that her cause of death was strangulation. This case remains unsolved. This case, like, grabbed national attention yeah. and held it. For years and years and years. This was absolutely awful. Well, nothing in that case made any sense. And and the mistakes that were made. Yeah. 
over and over yeah. and over again. And for 1996, for mistakes like this to be made was like, come on, Aurora Police Department. Seriously. Yeah. Connecticut. I don't know what I mean. Do I know this one? Sandy Hook. Oh, I do know that one. Yeah. Um, in 2012, 20-year-old Adam Lanza murdered his mother before driving her car to Sandy Hook Elementary School. There he shot and killed 27 innocent elementary kids. The youngest victims were six. It's heartbreaking. And then he killed himself. I think I think murders of kids are always going to come like first. Yeah. You know, cuz it's just it's like the like most innocent people. The in most the world. innocent. They did absolutely nothing. Delaware. Mm. See, this is where it gets hard. These these states are hard. The chocolate candy murders. Yes! What? Yes, you just had this perplexed look on your face. This is what I'm, like, living for right now. <laughs> give it to me. I don't okay. know this one. Yes! This is awesome. Cord- I don't mean... You know what I mean. Cordelia <laughs> Podkin was the first person ever to commit murder by mail. Oh. No, don't say, yeah, you don't know this one. Please, God, <laughs> give me one. <laughs> Her first victim would be Elizabeth Dunning, whose husband she was sleeping with. Oh. She was having an affair with this woman's husband. So she's the other woman. She's the dirty one. She starts by sending her letters in the mail telling her about details of the affair in hopes that she's going to that she's going to leave her husband and then she can have she can have this great prize of a man who's this is his fault. <laughs> But when that didn't work and she didn't leave him, she didn't believe him, she didn't, she didn't believe the letters, she didn't believe the allegations, whatever, Cordelia sends Elizabeth a box of chocolates in the mail with a note that says, with love to you and baby. Meaning she was pregnant, right? Oh my gosh. Okay, so the, the chocolates are poisoned. Elizabeth thinks it's from her husband or whatever. So she opens a box of chocolates she shares the chocolates at her father's house with her sister and some other people sitting on the front porch of her daddy's house. They all eat the chocolates. They're poisoned. Two days later, Elizabeth and her older sisters die from arsenic poisoning. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I'm so happy that I know that I just gave you one. So, yeah, look into that one. It's like, yeah, what the heck? It's, impress- it's impressively sadistic impressively sadistic this game is bad for me because as we continue i'm like oh, i should have listed that for california i should have listed this for so-and-so no this is Ugh, good this is good can't. florida i mean i would say gerald schaefer he was a cop that was killing people and then investigating the crime scenes right yeah but um, i mean florida's but also then hard. i think that you forget about kaylee marie anthony mm-hmm. see that's what's hard is like florida there's a lot. A lot of wild things There's going a lot down there. there. Right. So, little Miss Kaylee was an American girl, obviously, who lived in Orlando, Florida with her mother, Casey Marie Anthony. <clears throat> um, she was reported missing on July 15th, 2008, when a 911 call made by Cindy, her grandmother, said that she hadn't seen Kaylee for 31 days and that Casey's car, Casey the mom, it smelled like a dead body had been inside it. Cindy and Casey had been um, given varied explanations as to where Kaylee's, um, Kaylee was before finally telling her that she had not seen Kaylee for weeks. Um, Casey lied to detectives, telling them that Kaylee had been kidnapped by a nanny on June 9th and that she had been trying to find her, but, fr- but she was scared to call the cops. <clears throat> she was charged, Casey, her mom, was charged with first-degree murder in October of 2008, and she pled not guilty. On December 11th, Kaylee's body, her skeletal, well, her skeletal remains were found in a blanket inside a laundry bag in a wooded area near the Anthony, Anthony family home. Investigative reports and trial testimony varied between duct tape being found <clears throat> near her skull or over her mouth. We don't know. The medical examiner mentioned duct tape as one of the reasons that she determined the death was a homicide. While the cause of death was listed as, quote, death by undetermined means. Mm. Yeah. The trial lasted six weeks from May to July of 2011. The prosecution sought the death penalty 
and alleged that Casey wished to free herself from parental responsibilities um, and murdered her daughter using chloroform and applying duct tape to her nose and mouth. Casey Anthony's been like MIA since she got out. Oh, well, wait. Okay, so Casey never took the stand. She never testified. Um, But on July 5th, the jury found that Casey was not guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, or aggravated manslaughter of a child, but guilty of four misdemeanor counts of providing false information to a law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. With credit for time served, she was released July 17th, 2011. Mm. But a Florida appellate court overturned two of the misdemeanor convictions in January of 2013. Since she's been out, she's been all like MIA. Nobody's heard from her. Well, yeah, she was. She is probably one of the most hated people in America. She just came out with this new documentary that half of the people that have watched it are like, "Oh, she is innocent." That shit pissed me off. And excuse my language, it pissed me off. Yeah, I'm like you. I lied because I. My trauma from being sexually molested means I can't remember anything of any substance. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. All I mean, right. there's so much. There's so much about that so case wanna, that's I mean, just. Watch it yourself. Make or decision, we could do an but... episode on her because as a mother. When that was unfolding, you were super obsessed with that case. Oh, yeah. Everybody was. Because the concept of filicide is really really interesting to me filicide death by death of a child by by mother it's really interesting to me because i don't understand i don't understand yeah but okay moving on georgia i mean tamla horsford happened in georgia we covered her yeah we did the atlanta child murders though oh yeah oh yeah in atlanta yeah yeah the atlanta murders of 1979 to 1981 it's called the Atlanta Child Murders. That's how we're referred to it. Um, it was a series of murders committed in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, over the two-year period, 28 children, adolescents, and adults were killed. Wayne Williams, who was an Atlanta native, who was 23 years old at the time of the last murder, was arrested, tried, and convicted of two of the adult murders and sentenced to two exec- or consecutive life terms. But... They couldn't really pin the child murders on him. They didn't have enough evidence, and they figured, and this happens a lot, and it honestly kind of pisses me off, but, like, if you get two life sentences, it's almost like, oh, well, he's never going to get out, so we don't need to try him for the rest. Right. And so I, I think that this is probably, I don't know. But Wayne Williams, who was convicted of it, he 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 says, I didn't do it, and I'm innocent still to this day. Right. Which, I mean... Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh. Honolulu Strangler. Yeah. Good job. The Honolulu Strangler, also known as the Honolulu Rapist. This is an unsolved, unsolved crime, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he is credited to killing five women from 1985 and 1986. So five women in one year. It is the second active serial killer on the island. So that's interesting, too. The first victim was Vicki Gail Purdy. She was 25, a military spouse of Gary Purdy, who was an Army helicopter pilot. She had left to go clubbing at, at a bar, whatever, on May 29, 1985, but failed to meet her friends. She was last seen by the taxi driver who drove her to a hotel at 12 a.m., apparently to retrieve her car, which was later found in the hotel parking lot. The next morning, her body was found in an embankment wearing a yellow jumpsuit. Her hands were bound behind her back and she had been raped and strangled. Her husband told told police that he suspected her death to be associated with her job, but that was never, it was never substantiated. Mm. Second victim, Regina Scamoto. She was 17. She was a high school student. She had missed her bus from her school on January 14th and was last heard from by her boyfriend at 7.15 a.m. when she had called him to tell him that she would be late. On January 15th, her body was found at the same lagoon as the first victim, wearing a blue tank top, white sweatshirt, 
but her lower body was completely unclothed. Her hands bound behind her back, she had been raped and strangled. Third victim, Dennis Hughes. She was a secretary for a telephone company who commuted and she commuted by bus and when it was an active, she was very active in her Christian church. She did not show up to work on January 30th and was found dead in a stream by three young fishermen on February 1st. Her decomposing body was clothed in a blue dress, wrapped in a blue tarp with her hands bound. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled. Fourth victim, Louise Medeiros. She was 25. Um, she left to go and see, to meet her family, left her house to go and, and see her family because of death, because of the death of her mother. She took a late night flight to Honolulu on March 26th and told family that she would just get a bus from the airport and nobody needed to come and pick her up. So that's what the plan was. She didn't get on a bus. She didn't get to her house. Her body was found the next day in a stream by road workers. She was wearing her blouse, again, lower body completely unclothed, her hands bound behind her back, raped, strangled. Last victim was Linda Pesky. She was 36. She left her home the morning of April 29th and expected to be home later that evening, um, but never made it home. She was found not clothed from the waist down, raped, strangled. Hmm. So the Honolulu Police Department, after the third killing, because it takes three killings that they can tie together before it's a serial killer, right? It has right. to be three. So after the third one, they put together, the police department put together a 27-person serial killer task force in an effort to catch the murder. Um, the killer's profile was that of an opportunist who attacked women who were vulnerable, in vulnerable places like bus stops, um, places like that where they're probably alone, they don't have anybody looking after them. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there, right? Police set up roadblocks, questioned frequent commuters, um, but they arrested, they eventually arrested Howard Gay as the primary suspect. His ex-wife and girlfriend described him as a smooth talker. They actually went to police and were like, oh my gosh, I think this might be the guy. They provided potentially in, this, this is why they thought that it was him, is because of his fetishes. They both said that he liked engaging in bonding activities, sexual bondage, mm -hmm. and, and they allowed him to tie them up when they would have sex with them, and he would really get off by having hands tied behind their back and like their shirts on and bottoms off. Um, his girlfriend related that on, on the nights that they had fought, he would leave the house, and these were the same nights that the murders occurred. Ooh. So, I don't know. Yeah. He died in 2003. Crimes are unsolved. So, Idaho. Well, I mean, right now, I mean, depends on how early or right now, it's the... Yeah. The Idaho killings, the... Mm-hmm three college girls and right the boyfriend in Idaho at the college right well we're going to go back a little bit to 2005 Joseph Duncan the third yes I love that face she looks to her left up to the sky and makes a weird face <laughs> I'm like and trying to open like, that filing cabinet in my brain she's like mm, not familiar so this was 2005 convicted killer and child molester who killed 40-year-old Brenda Groney, her boyfriend Mark McKenzie, and her 13-year-old son Slade. He also kidnapped her two other children, Dylan and Shasta. Seven weeks after their disappearance, Shasta, who was eight, shows up alive just at a local Denny's restaurant. Her brother was found murdered days later. The killer later admitted to three other murders in California and Washington, even though he hasn't been convicted of them. Can we just first talk about what a cool name the name Slade is? Yeah, that's a very <laughs> that's cool, a name. cool name. Yeah. Um, no, I did not know that one. Okay, well, look it up. All right. <laughs> Illinois. John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy, hands down every blech, time. Blech. I know. Disgusting. I know. He, what a vile, nasty man. Yep. Serial killer, sex offender who raped, tortured, and murdered at least 33 young men and boys in Illinois, in a suburb of Chicago. 
He also became known as the... Clown killer. Clown killer. Yep. He was also a Boy Scout leader. That's correct. Uh. Yep. Gacy committed all of his murders inside his ranch-style home in Northwood Park Township. Typically, he would lure a victim into his home and duct tape them. Gross. And put handcuffs on them. Um... And then he would, he, but he would, he wouldn't just like hold him down and do it. He would be like, oh, he would dress up as a clown, right? And say, I want to do a magic trick. And that's how he subdued his victims. Um, gross little known fact is his, he was like, owned a ton of KFCs. Oh, I didn't know that. His, well, his family, his wife's family owned a ton of KFCs and he like managed a bunch of them. That's awesome. Gross. After he would do this magic trick and get their hands duct taped and handcuffed behind their back, he would then rape and torture his captive before he killed them, either by asphyxiation, strangulation, or with a garret. 26 victims were buried in the crawl space of his home, and three others were buried somewhere else on his property. Four were discarded in the Des Des Plains River. I'm sorry. His wife says she didn't know. How no, do you, how not, do you know? not know? How do you not know? <clears throat> Gacy had previously been convicted in 1968 of the sodomy of a teenage boy in Iowa and was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment but served 18 months. Let me say that again. Mm-hmm. He was convicted of sodomy of a teenage boy and was sentenced to 10 years but served 18 months. Yo! Mm-hmm. He murdered his first victim in 1972, had murdered twice more by the end of 1975, and then murdered at least 30 more victims after the divorce from his second wife in 1976. Um, Best part, going back to the whole 18-month sodomy thing, he was on probation when he moved. But it's the 70s. We've talked about this before, about how police departments don't communicate with each other, so we've got a man on probation for that. Right. He was sentenced to death on March 13th, 1980. On death row, he spent much of his time painting. He was executed by lethal injection at Stateville Correctional Center on May 10th, 1994. He painted clowns. <laughs> if you go to the Museum of Death in New Orleans, they've got all of his paintings. Disgusting. I've seen them. Indiana. Hmm. I hope you get this because we talked about her in our women's, in the women killer episode. We talked about a lot of women in that. Um... Belginis. Hell's Bell. Oh, yep. Yep. She is a Norwegian-American serial killer who is active in Illinois and Indiana between 1884 and 1908. Right? She was a black widow who would post ads wooing men in, yeah, do you remember? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yep. And then she would murder them by poisoning, bludgeoning, bludgeoning, and in a few cases, arson, collecting the insurance money or cash or whatever cash assets that they had. And when when she started getting in, in trouble for it, or when people were like, um, I don't know, Belle, like what? Like there's a lot of... A lot of death surrounds you. Yeah, there's <laughs> kind of one common denominator here. When people started asking questions, she just killed her three kids. She, she would just get rid of them, right? She But she enlisted... The help of her hired hand, Ray Lampier, had set fire to places just to get rid of evidence. She killed anywhere between 25 and 40 victims, and she was never caught. Dang. Yeah. Woman be wildin'. Uh, right? Iowa. Uh, I'm going to say the first part wrong. The axe murders. Yes. That's a sad case. Yes. Mm. Very much. And Some this was... people and axes. I know, but it was, but if you, if you look at the time though, like the date, yeah, you know, 19, 1912. In the late 1800s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. So it, it was 1912, eight people were murdered in the night, bludgeoned to death in their beds with the blunt end of an ax. The murder weapon was found beside four, four pound slab of bacon. Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly fell under suspicion for the brutal murders when he boarded a train west. Mm -hmm. Yeah, heading out west. Yeah. 
He's probably, he was probably moseying on around here. Oh. <laughs> that's disgusting. Wait, where's um, he? I don't know. He, he got, that's where they stopped him and he talked his way out of it, right? Um, but the bodies hadn't been discovered yet. What? You're making No, up- I just realized how stupid I am because, like, where's Iowa? What? Where is Iowa in the United States? I don't know. Why are you calling me out like that? Because I don't know where Iowa is. <laughs> so it said west, and I made a joke, and I was like, maybe he was like wandering out around like Wyoming. Are like, we west of Iowa? We are. Oh my god, you're retarded. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Midwest. I mean, I like I know the stretch, but yes. Okay. Anyway, we're gonna move on. <laughs> Kelly confessed to the claim to the, to killing these people, but then recanted his his confession at his trial. He was acquitted, and no one was ever tried for it. So these um, crimes remain unsolved. One of the victims was just having a sleepover. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Kansas. BTK. BTK. You make references to him a lot, and I didn't. I was just. I was always like, when you would be like, "Ooh, little BTK action going on there." Do you know though what BTK stands for? Oh no. Blind torture kill. Oh yeah, I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Okay, so this happened between 1974 and 1991, where he killed 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas. And he sent taunting letters to police and media outlets describing the details of his crimes, which is how he gets caught. Your, <laughs> your face is... He's really okay. stupid. He's really stupid. He, he caught himself. Okay, so on January 15th, 1974, four members of the Ontario family were murdered in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Joseph, 38, Julie, 33, Joseph Jr., age 9, and Josephine, age 11. What's with the Joseph names there? Their bodies were discovered by the family's three older children, Charlie, Danny, and Carmen, who had been at school at the time of the killings. How awful. After his 2005 arrest, Raider confessed to killing the Ontario family. He wrote a letter that had been stashed inside an engineering book in the Wichita Public Library, which described the killings in detail. Disgusting. But between the spring of of 1974 and 1977, Raider killed three more women, Catherine Bright, Shirley Relford, and Nancy Fox. In early 1978, he sent another letter to a television station in Wichita, claiming responsibility for the murders of Ontario's Bright, Vivian Relford, and Fox. He suggested many of the names for himself, including one that stuck, BTK. He demanded immediate attention for the second letter and finally announced that Wichita did indeed have a serial killer at large. The, he wrote a poem. He didn't write. Oh, death to Nancy. Crazy. He also intended to kill others, such as Anna Williams, who in 1979, at the age of 63, escaped death by returning home much later than, than expected. Rader explained that during, uh, during his confession that he became obsessed with Williams as absolutely livid that she, that she evaded him. He was pissed that she wasn't where she was supposed to be. But that is one of the, one of the, the, the points that make serial killers like we're predictable we as human beings are yeah. predictable right like basically most of the time we're all routine we're very routine we do the same thing we get up we you know at the same time we go to work at the same time our work schedule is pretty uniform it's pretty much the same weekends are pretty much the same you know and so when when you're being stalked and that schedule changes he was pissed he was really mad about that. I'd like to point out he was also a Boy Scout leader. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. Oh, man. Some of those he was supposed to be with his kids at Boy Scout camp and then snuck in the middle of the night to go do a little murdering and then come back to Boy Scout camp. Oh, my gosh. Well, Ugh. he gets convicted and he's serving, he's currently serving 10 consecutive life sentences at the El Dorado Correctional Facility. Yeah, he, in that last letter he sent, he's so stupid, his church, he worked for his church and had deleted a flash drive that had his literal information, like his employee file for the church. 
submitted that with like pictures the police decoded it and were like <laughs> okay wonder if this was he, you Dennis he wanted to get caught though hey Dennis here like, you are he continually <laughs> sent letters to the media and to the police and eventually I mean he he got caught because because he wanted he's the notoriety Dennis and he's gross yeah okay Kentucky Oh, what's that? Standard Gravere shooting. Oh, I was going to go with the like, insane asylum there. Yeah, that one's crazy, too. You should do a whole <laughs> thing on that. In 1989, Thomas Westbaker went to his former workplace, a printing factory called Standard Gravere, with an AK-47, two handguns, a bayonet, and hundreds of ammunition rounds. It is believed that he received a letter from the company shortly before the massacre, which announced his disability payments, which soon be suspended. He killed eight employees and injured 12 others before taking his own life. Oop. Oop. I didn't know that one. Louisiana! All right, so I can kind of pick my poison here, too. I could go the Axeman murders. I could go, but I want to go Delphine Lalaurie. Well, so we've that's talked. Want to go with? We've talked about the Axe Man. We did a whole episode on him, so that's the one that that's the one that we're going with here. Uh, the Axe Man of New Orleans. It's still the most notorious killer of all times for the Pelican State. If you Google murders from that, he's going to come up over and over and over again. He killed six, injured six more over a period of eighteen months, from May of eighteen of nineteen eighteen to October of nineteen nineteen. Yeah, we did a whole episode on him. I think I might have to cover Lala Reed here soon. Uh, <laughs> Maine. So did, I'm kind did, of... Did that even happen in Maine? No. I was going to say. No, and that's what I was just going to say. Like, I'm kind of impressed with Maine because they don't have... I mean, I'm sure that there's murders there, but you know what comes up as the most prolific what? crime that has ever happened in Maine of all time? What? The North Pond Hermit. You don't know about this because it does I mean, it's... I. Do you think they're not getting away with things or do you think that people are just really rich and mean and, like, things get swept under the rug? I don't know. Christopher Knight, who evaded police for 27 years as he committed more than a 1,000 burglaries of homes in the North Pond area. Knight left more than left home at 20 without notice and spent a few decades living off food and houses and vacation cabins in the area. It's so lame. There's got to be something cool that, that happened in Maine. I know, but that's all that came up. Okay, Maryland. Things happened in Maryland? Yes, the murder of Hei Min Lee. I don't know who that is. She was a Korean-American high school student who was last seen alive on January 13, 1999, in Baltimore City, Maryland. Her body was found four weeks later. I do know this one. Okay. In Lincoln Park, she had been killed by manual strangulation. Lee's ex-boyfriend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just butcher this name and she's <laughs> um adana i can't say his name suede was initially convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison <clears throat> plus 30 years but in 2014 a podcast serial covering the killer killing which brought renewed attention to the case woo woo podcast yeah that's a good podcast too shout out to the serial right mm -hmm. um in 2016 Judge Martin P. Welsh vacated his conviction and ordered a new trial. That decision was upheld by Special Appeals Court, but then overturned by a different court of appeals. Anyway, he finally gets let out. The case is unsolved. Yeah. Massachusetts. Boston Strangler. Or the Salem Watch Trials. That, you know, I agree. I agree with you. Those are those are good ones, especially the Salem Witch Trials. Oh. I would love to do an episode on that Salem Witch Trials, yeah. but but I'm gonna go with Whitey Bulger. All right, I mean that's solid. Right, he's one of the most notorious gang gangsters, hitmen, and rats in mobster history. He evaded police for 16 years. He actually had an FBI agent who infiltrated his way into the system, gained his trust to bust him who turned out to be loyal to him. Like, this dude was smooth. He was smooth. smooth. criminal. Smooth criminal. <laughs> Michael Jackson there. <laughs> yeah, okay, so he was tried and convicted for racketeering in 2013. 
He was imprisoned first in Florida, then Oklahoma, and finally in West Virginia. But after, after he was transferred to FCI in Hazleton, the 89-year-old gangster was found beaten to death, his eyes gouged out, oh, his tongue almost severed completely in a clear mob hit fueled by Bulger's longtime role as an informant. Ooh. Oof. That's rough. That's rough. May, uh, Michigan. The disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. He hmm. vanished from a restaurant parking lot in Bloomingdale Township where he told others that he had a meeting with two mafia leaders. Anthony, I don't know. These are Italian names. He'd been involved in organized crime for many years and presumed dead. Speculation as to what happened to him has kept him alive in true crime fans' memories all of these years. There's a rumor or a, a legend that he's actually buried under the giant stadium in New Jersey. Ooh. Even though no human remains were found there when it was demolished in 2010. So who knows? Minnesota. The murder of Jacob Weatherling. I love that you're perplexed here. On Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, just after 9 p.m., Jacob Weatherling his younger brother Trevor and a friend Aaron Larson were biking home from a um, Tom Thumb conven oh my gosh, convenience store in Minnesota. They had gone to rent a video. Danny Heinzrich, wearing a stocking cap, stocking cap mask, and armed with an unloaded revolver, came out of a driveway, ordered the boys to throw down their bikes into a ditch and lie face down on the ground. He then asked each boy their age. Jacob's brother told, was told to run towards a nearby wooded area and not to look back or that he would be shot. Heinrich then demanded to view the faces of the two remaining boys. He picked Jacob and told Aaron to run away, threatening him as he had Jacob's brother. This was the last time Jacob was, Jacob was seen alive by anyone other than his captor. 16 years later, on September 1st, 2016, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension recovered human bones from a pasture about 30 miles from the site of, of his abduction. On September 3rd, his family announced that the bones were those of Jacob. Um, law enforcement stated that the identity of the bones were confirmed by dental records. The location was revealed by Danny Hinrich in a, lo a longtime person of interest in the abduction of another 12-year-old boy in the nearby town of Cold Spring. On September 6th, 2016, Henrich confessed to the kidnapping and murdering of Weatherling, as well as abducting and sexually assaulting another boy. Oh man, yeah, I didn't know that one. Mississippi. I feel like there's all kinds of wild stuff going on in Mississippi. Yeah, the murder of Emmett Till. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> he was um, 14 years old when he was accused of wolf whistling. Do you know what wolf whistling is? Uh -uh. It's gone. I can't whistle, so it's where you go, woo, woo. You whistle like that, like sexually advancing towards oh, somebody. Like cat calling? Cat calling, yeah, but okay. it's called it's called wolf whistling. Um, he was accused of wolf whistling and an adult white woman who worked as a grocery clerk. For the supposed offense of hitting on a white woman and asking her on a date, Carolyn Bryant's husband, Roy Bryant, and his brother kidnapped the boy from his great uncle's house tortured, mutilated, and killed him in one of the most infamous lynchings of the of the Jim Crow era. So clearly he was African-American. Correct. Um, Accounts of what the young boy did or said are unclear, as Brian's account changed each time she gave it. However, she admitted nothing that the boy did ever could justify what happened to him. That's horrible. Yeah. Missouri... Last one, the twenty-fifth one. Give oh, it to me. The murder of Dee Dee Blanchard. Oh, yeah. Gypsy Rose. Okay, got it. <laughs> I forget that that's Missouri. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Well, she was born in Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. So this was in two thousand fifteen. The body of Dee Dee Blanchard was found face down in the bedroom of her house just outside Springfield lying on the bed in a pool of blood from stab wounds inflicted several days earlier. There was no sign of her daughter, Gypsy Rose, 
who according to Blanchard had chronic conditions including leukemia, asthma, and multiple or muscular dystrophy, and who had the mental capacity of a seven-year-old due to brain damage. Which, <laughs> you, you have a sadistic look on your face. My child. As a, as a result of premature birth. After reading the troubling Facebook posts earlier in the evening, concerned neighbor, neighbors notified the police reporting that Dee Dee might have fallen victim to foul play and that Gypsy Rose, whose wheelchair and medications were still in the house. They thought that she might have been abducted. The following day, though, police found Gypsy Rose in Wisconsin, where she had traveled with her boyfriend, Nicholas um, Gottijon. Oh, yeah, Gottijon. Lachey. Mm-hmm. Whom she had met online. While investigators announced that she was actually an adult who did not have any type of physical or mental health issues, which her mother claimed that she did have, public outrage over the possible abduction of a disabled girl gave way to shock and some sympathy for Gypsy Rose. So her mom told her that she was sick, medicated her, made her live in a wheelchair, and she wasn't. Yeah, Munchausen syndrome. Yep. Further investigations show that some of the doctors who examined Gypsy Rose had found no evidence to the claims of any disorder whatsoever. Um, so yeah. She had all of her teeth removed. And yeah. there was nothing wrong with her teeth. Gypsy Rose pled guilty to second degree murder and is serving a 10 year sentence after a brief trial in November 2018. Her boyfriend was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Sad, sad story. That would be an interesting episode to do yeah. on that diagnosis and what that what that all entails. Well, and Nicholas has like super, super low IQ, like super low IQ. And Gypsy, I mean, she's eligible for parole this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those, like you said this in our Waco episode, the why matters. The why matters. She was abused her entire life. Yeah. Um, not justifying, but also. When you not see no justifying, way out. but explaining. When you see no way out, yeah, people and do you, desperate things. And you really can wrap your head around, okay, I can see how you got to that point. Mm-hmm. I can see how you felt as though that was your only option. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a sad well, what do you think? Did you like this? Yeah, you did really good. Um, I'm disappointed that I didn't get as many right. I also disagree with some of those things. I do too. <laughs> I do too. But there's just, there's in some states, there's just so many to, to, to choose, choose from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I'm not a fan of categorizing crime, you know, like, oh, this murder was worse than this murder because everybody matters. Right. Right. But, but it's kind of, I don't want to use the word fun, but it's kind of fun to do. So we're going to do the next 25 tomorrow. Okay. Or maybe, yeah, we'll do the next 25 tomorrow and we'll see. I'm, um, you did good, but this is fun. It was it's fun. kind of fun. It's Thanks kind for, of fun of challenging you a little bit. Thanks for coming up with a game for us here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, y'all. And we'll see you. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Stay safe. Bye.